Amen. Can you just give God glory? Let's just give him praise. He is worthy this morning of praise and honor. Amen. Praise the Lord. Uh, welcome this morning uh, to our service. So good to have you here today. I believe that every Sunday, every service, that God so deeply cares about the moment and the gathering as we come together. And he really, truly wants to encounter every heart and plant seeds of truth. And literally, we pray for this, and I believe this is God's will, is that there's transformation in each of our lives. Our situations, our circumstances, our relationships with our children, our job, that God is wanting to bring transformation and draw us closer to him so that we become more like Jesus. Somebody say amen to that. I'm so grateful for that, that he's concerned about every detail um, of our life. I'd like to ask you to pray with me this week especially. We, we've had struggles with getting this final building permit. We've got a lot of construction done on the building, but the final building permit is, is struggle. We've had it in, under review three different times and they've had to make different changes. Uh, the city has been very particular about what they want. So it's in for the third review now. We're hoping that our permit's going to come very quickly. Would you pray that God gives us favor with the city of Scottsdale? God gives us favor to pull this permit so that we can finish this project. Would you do that with me? We really do need you to join with us and just intercede for this last hurdle to really get this permit so that we can finish construction uh, with the building. So we're, we're excited about that, of getting over there. But in the meantime, continue to join us here faithfully at the hotel as we gather here on Sunday. I want to thank those who come in on Saturday night and set up. It's a lot of work. Appreciate that so much. But and if, if you want to volunteer to help, we could definitely use it. But they come in, sometimes they're here late on Saturday, night, just setting everything up, the sound and the equipment. And then we have to break it down and pack it up on Sunday after the service. So, you know, we're looking forward to getting into a stable place where we don't do that. But in the meantime, I am really grateful for our team. And they work hard. Bridget's in Kids Church today. And, uh, she, you know, Bridget, she's all over the map. And uh, so, uh, but we're just so grateful for our team, our leaders. And we're in this building phase, laying foundations, and we know that God's going to build such a wonderful church and, and continue to add to the church in a great way and by his supernatural power. Amen. We started last Sunday, an Easter Sunday, talking about joy in the desert. And knowing that we live in a desert and how, uh, really, how severe the desert can be. And, and the desert is not a place that people can live without earning, learning survival skills. The plants and the animals that live in the desert, it's all about survival and adapting to a, a desert culture. And it's, it's very, very different. But how many know here this morning that in our spiritual lives, there's often times we come into those desert moments and it seems dry, it seems like a drought, it, it just seems like maybe God's voice is not so clear anymore. And I've often said that that's when our roots go deep is even during the time when there's not a fruitfulness seemingly in our life, but the roots are always going deep, looking for water and refreshment and all that. And, and God builds character in our life and God establishes our faith in a great way in the desert seasons. We know that to be true. But there's an important principle that I want to speak about this morning that it's, it's about suffering and there's joy in the desert, but a part of the desert experience is just this suffering that we go through. And I want to speak to you this morning about joy in the midst of suffering. And we're going to go through the book of Philippians in the coming weeks, beginning with chapter one today. And we're going to look at Paul, how he dealt with suffering in his own personal life and how he compels the church of Jesus Christ 
to deal with suffering as well. And there can be great joy and appreciation and gratefulness in the midst of suffering. Now, this is not a popular message. And you don't see a lot of books written about suffering because they probably wouldn't sell that well. Nobody really wants to talk about it in the church. Some teachers have even said that it's, it's not biblical for a Christian to suffer. I beg to differ that Jesus even said you're going to have tribulation and trial and testing, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And that principle alone, that I have overcome the world, gives us the precedent in our life that we can overcome every obstacle that we go through, especially the obstacles of suffering. I think suffering is, is misunderstood because oftentimes we feel like, is God judging me? Is, is God putting me in the belly of a whale like you did Jonah because I've disobeyed him? Why am I going through a season of this desert and this suffering? And, and why would God expect me to be joyful in this experience? Because in our human nature, we just want to complain about it and we want to get out of this desert. We want to get out of this mode of suffering as quick as possible and we'll spend a lot of money and time trying to deliver ourselves from the suffering. But perhaps God has us in chains, if you will, like he did Paul, for a very specific reason. In a season, not just to test us, but to develop our faith and to teach us that we can even be joyful in the midst of a season of suffering in our life. I would beg to say that everybody in this room today, that there's an area of your life that seems like a desert, and you're suffering, and even Paul says that all those who live godly in Christ Jesus are going to suffer persecution. Now, the persecution in America is different than other countries where people literally are losing their lives because they're a believer, but I think in this country, the great persecution that we often endure and go through is a persecution of our faith. That our faith will waver sometimes. And I know a lot of believers, it's like they're kind of in and out of the church and they go through desert seasons where they, they're not even really worshiping, actively um, serving the Lord. It's kind of like they're just on this roller coaster ride and it seems like their faith is under severe persecution. I think that is the case in this country. That we endure and go through that kind of persecution. So Paul, he puts it very clearly and simply in the book of Philippians. And I want to speak about this joy in the desert and the joy in the suffering. But I want to look at the last two verses of chapter 1. And then we're going to start with verse number 1. But go to chapter 1 of Philippians, verse 29 and 30. And let's begin there this morning. For you have not been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but listen but also the privilege of suffering for him. Now, it says so much right here. I think this really kind of lays a foundation for us to understand that, yeah, you have the privilege of knowing Jesus and serving him and trusting him, but it's also a privilege, Paul says, to suffer for Christ. In other words, it's called the gift of suffering in the kingdom of God. The gift of suffering. And many of you understand this. And we're in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I'm still in the midst of it. And it's like, I'm just not in this struggle, but you're experiencing the gift of suffering just like me. We're in this thing together, this gift of suffering. I think it's important for us to understand that there's an antidote for our seasons in the desert and suffering, and I believe that this antidote is joy. 
because joy gives us a perspective and an attitude. It just says that, you know what, this isn't going to last forever, that this is just going to be a season that I go through, but I'm still going to rejoice in the Lord. I'm still going to praise God. I'm still going to have an attitude of faith knowing that God is going to move. He's going to give me the power and ability to overcome this aspect of suffering in my life. And I think that's the proper mindset, not to look back and think, what did I do wrong? Why is God doing this to me? My mentor many years ago when I went to him and I was whining and crying about this suffering moment I was going through, it's like, why am I going through this? It doesn't make sense. I've loved God. I've been serving him faithfully. And I I just, you know, and I'm just complaining, complaining. He looks at me and he kind of smiles. He said, Dana, just stop what you're saying. Just stop. Look what you're saying here. He said, let me just share a a simple secret with you. If you just go before the Lord and you can cry out to him like David and say, God, I don't like this, you know, this suffering, it's painful, it's difficult, I don't understand it, and all that, but ask the Lord to show you what he's wanting to teach you, and I promise you the quickest way to get through these desert times of your life is to let God speak to you and show you what he's trying to say, and then as you walk in obedience to what he's saying to you, you'll get through it much quicker. Does that make sense this morning? And I found that to be true. And so I went right to the Lord and I said, God, what is it you're trying to say to me? And, and Lord, give me a word from, you know, the scripture or speak to me by the Holy Spirit. And God, what is it you're saying and trying to teach me? And when I would apply that to my life, I promise you, I would get over the obstacle much quicker during that desert season of suffering. And usually, when God would speak to me, it was, it probably more often than not, it was like, I, I, there's an attitude in you that I don't like, that I'm not pleased with. It's going to hold you back from your destiny. It's a perspective. It, it, you know, you speak it, you're saying things that are negative. It just comes out of your heart, and that's going to hold you back. And because I love you so deeply, and I want you to fulfill your destiny in the kingdom of God, I want to deal with that attitude. And I want you to start trusting me. And I would just repent to the Lord God, you're right. I, you know, it has the things that have come out of my heart and my mouth. It's I'm putting my trust in people and things and in circumstances. And Lord, I'm going to put my faith and trust in the promise of your word. And God begins to instruct my heart again. And the Lord would just begin to say, just begin to rejoice in the midst of your suffering. Rejoice in the midst of your desert. And you know what? It wouldn't be many days or weeks that I would begin to overcome that circumstance. And God would take me into a, a period of abundance and fruitfulness once again in my life. And I've seen older people, I've gone to nursing homes multiple times to visit seniors that are in the last season of their life in, in a nursing care home, and, and I would share with them, and I just, I recently visited a, a man who, he's on a walker, he's disabled, he's a former pastor, and I sat there, and he just was so bitter, and he was just so angry at the church, and how he felt like, you know, everybody was against him, and he's not gotten over his issues, and he's just suffering, of the, just that bitter spirit, and I sat there, and I thought, this is so tragic, because in the final moments of his life, He hasn't really overcome, and it's like all the joy has dissipated from his life, and this should be a season of joy. And I think that God wants to check those things in our life, and Paul is is so graceful in this that, you know what, there's a purpose for my change, there's a purpose for my suffering, and Paul understood it, but I'm going to be joyful in the Lord. I never forget that 
was a pastor that hired me in Tucson. Bridget and I, while we were engaged, he hired us and we got married. We started, hit the ground running in ministry as missions pastor in Tucson. His name was Virgil Jones. Some of you know the name. He started great church in Tucson. And after two years of serving with him, he retired after 35 plus years in a ministry. That church started in his house and became a church of 1,200 people over the years. And I asked him, I said, Pastor Jones, if you could do anything different, what would you do after all this years of ministry? And, and he, just, he was packing his books up in his office, and I'm getting ready, just sitting on the edge of my chair to see what he would say. I said, I want to learn from you, you know. I don't want to make, you know, mistakes in my ministry. And he said, well, I, I definitely would have spent uh, more time with my family for sure. You know, the ministry has taken me away a lot. He said, but really, probably the biggest thing, Dana, that I can tell you, he goes, this may not sound very spiritual. He said, but if I could do anything different over the last 35 plus years of ministry, I would have laughed more. I would have just laughed more. And he goes, and I think I, so oftentimes I took things a little too serious. Just a little bit too serious. Not that it wasn't important, not that I didn't need to deal with issues in my life, but it's just like, just to sit and just to, just to laugh and be joyful and, and have a good time and know that, you know, God's in control, God's got my future, you know, he's got my back, everything is in his hands, and you know, I can fret and get discouraged and, and you know, go through these times of suffering, and I thought that was such a profound, but yet such a practical insight that he gave me years ago. Watching someone suffer is more painful than personally enduring your own suffering. How many can understand that? I have the gift of compassion. To be a missionary, you would never make it, especially in the countries that I served in, without a, a gift of mercy and compassion. And, and the pitfall of every strength and gift, which I, I look at some of you and I see such giftedness and the things that God has given you, but every gift that God gives us, there's a potential weakness or pitfall in that. And the weakness and pitfall of that gift of mercy is I could never say no to people. And I would justify my workaholic uh, personality by saying, well, it's for the kingdom. And people come and can you come here? Can you do this? And I could never say no because I thought God will understand because I'm doing this for him. It's for the kingdom. But it wore me down physically and emotionally and spiritually. And there was times I was, I was bypassing my time with the Lord thinking, I, I've got to do the ministry. I've got to get out there. There's people dying and everything. And literally, I allowed my ministry to become this golden calf in my life. And God really had to deal with me. And I went through a real period of physical and emotional suffering. I remember there, a the time I got so depleted, I'm like, God, what's happened? I've been serving you faithfully and everything. It's like, well, you know, you've been worshiping the ministry more than you've been worshiping me. And I allowed my mercy gift to kind of consume me in that. And in that it's, it's cost me dearly at times. I remember my kids were little and they had to go in to get their vaccinations and everything with the kids. And I, I just can't stand to watch people suffer. I'm like, I'd rather suffer myself, but I don't like, especially my kids or my family to suffer. And so we would have to the nurse said, you're going to have to hold them down on the table while she's giving them these vaccinations. Well, I would step outside the door of the examining room and say, Bridget, you're going to have to deal with this. And I'm out there <laughs> I'm crying while she's in there. I'm mad. Like, I got to do this by myself because you can't be in here. And every time I would just step out of the room and let her hold them down while they got their shots. 
But it was for their good, obviously, and I just thought, man, it's just so hard to watch someone suffer. It's more painful. And suffering's an interesting thing. Tim Keller, who wrote a book on walking with Jesus through suffering and disappointment, he said this in his book. He said, you don't really know Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all that you have. (laughs) You really don't know Jesus is all that you need until... He's all that you have. And I think that Paul understood this as he's in prison. He understands that, you know what, Jesus is all that, that I have. And he's, you know, this is what I need. And Philippians 1.1, I want to speak those first 11 verses. This is a letter from Paul and Timothy, from both of us, slaves of Jesus Christ. They're not slaves of Rome. They're not slaves of men even though they're in the chains but by the Roman government, put them in chains and put them in prison. But here's what their perspective is. You know what, I'm not a slave of Rome. It's the Lord that allowed this suffering time because we need to be in chains to build the faith of the church and all the other reasons that they were in chains. But Timothy and I are slaves of Jesus Christ. That's important to understand. And I'm writing to all God's holy people who belong to Christ Jesus, including the church leaders and deacons, he's speaking to you. He's speaking to me in this word. And may God our Father, Lord Jesus Christ, give you grace and peace in this situation. In a period of suffering, that's what we need. We need the grace of God to undergird us. And I pray that oftentimes for my day. Lord, I just pray that I could walk in your grace and that it would undergird me. It would just support me through my day and through my week. Because how many know that without the grace of God, there are just some things we cannot do? And every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. And whenever I pray, I make requests for all of you with joy. And he sets the tone for the rest of the book and the rest of the chapters and builds on the concept of joy that as I'm praying for you, I do it with joy and thanks in this. He maintains a joyful, great attitude. And I've said this, that the gratefulness and thankfulness, which is a part of rejoicing in the Lord, creates an atmosphere for increase. If you need an increase in your finance, if you need an increase in your physical stature, you need an increase in breakthrough and overcoming, I'm going to tell you something. Gratefulness, thankfulness and just being joyful in the Lord will create an atmosphere for increase in your life and there's something about it that pleases the heart of God that will get us through situations more than anything else. It's just an attitude. It's a perspective of joy. God just pleased with that. It's like, I, I don't want complainers because complainers fall into that spirit of unbelief where they stop believing me and I am the God I am that I am. My promises are true. I've proven myself by the miraculous in your life and I don't want you to step into that negative complaining concept but I want you to walk in joy and faith and believing that I am able. I am that I am. Verse number seven, it's right I should feel as I do about you but you have a special place in my heart. He shared with me the special favor of God in my imprisonment and defending and affirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. And I pray that your love will overflow more and more. And you will keep growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters. I think this is an important concept right here. Paul's like, I want you to understand. I want the church to understand. Listen, this is what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. Paul says it in this. He kind of lays that foundation 
in here that this is what really matters is that the fruit of your salvation and the part of that fruit of your salvation, I believe, is one of the fruits of the Spirit is joy. And this is what he emphasizes throughout this book. It's a fruit of your salvation. And we know that the joy of the Lord is our strength. It says that. And you might, we're going to go over that in a moment. And Paul gives this letter that he could have never written unless he's, it was in chains in this scenario, but he gives a perspective to the church and to us today that is vitally important for us to understand. May you always be filled with the fruit of salvation. I believe that joy is the ultimate revenge in the face of suffering. How many believe that? Let me say it again. I believe that joy is the ultimate revenge in the face of suffering. Paul demonstrates this. Paul lives this. That I'm not going to let the enemy rob me of my joy because of a circumstance that's just a season. It's not going to last forever. But I'm going to maintain my joy because I think it's connected to my faith and my belief in Christ. That God, the fruit of the Spirit, is one of the fruits is joy, which is a part of the character of God. And we're created in His image. We're created, I'm not just talking about joy because if the, everything is going perfect in my life, which it never does. Not everything always goes perfect in my life. But I'm going to walk in joy by faith in the Lord. I have so much to be grateful for. I'm alive. I'm breathing. Jesus. Jesus is living in my life, and he's opening doors for my life. He's going to help me to overcome. There's so much to be joyful about, and by faith, I live in that joy. It's the greatest revenge we have in the face of suffering, and the enemy knows that, and that's why he's a joy stealer. He wants to steal it on a daily basis and give you no reason through the attacks and assaults and circumstances that he tries to bring against our life and to steal the joy knowing that that is our strength, that is the catalyst of our faith, that is the catalyst of our destiny for us moving forward. There's a scripture in Luke that I think is important for us, and there's actually many, but I want to read this one in Luke, uh, chapter 6, verse 22. Listen to what Jesus says here. What blessing awaits you when people hate you, exclude you, and mock you, and curse you as evil because you follow the Son of Man. And when that happens... Be happy, be joyful. Yes, leap for joy, he says, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, their ancestors treated the ancient prophets the same way. So Jesus, like, don't be shocked. Don't let the, you know, the enemy rob you and be a joy stealer because you follow me and follow my teaching and you're gonna experience this, this mocking and the hatred and all the things. We see this in the church on a daily basis. You read the news. There's very anti-God, anti-Christian, anti church all around the world, even in the United States of America, we're experiencing this, but don't let it rob your joy. If anything, Jesus said, you know what? Be happy, leap for joy. Richard Wormbrandt, who literally started Martyrs for Christ, the, the, the book that was really based on his life, he's this Christian that was in prison for 14 years in Romania. And this ministry, based on his testimony and his life, is so powerful. But he said that he was in prison, in the midst of prison. He would be in isolation literally for years. And he came across this verse and he realized that I haven't been rejoicing in the Lord. I haven't been expressing joy in the Lord. So he said, in my presence cell, he goes, I just started leaping for joy. And I just started praising God and expressing joy to him. He said, the warden of the prison thought I went mad. They couldn't believe it. 
And he said, it was one of the greatest moments of my faith in that prison cell. When I learned just by faith, I just began to leap and express joy to the Lord, even as I was in this isolation and this cell where the stench was so great, it was just sickening. And he talks about the torture that he went through. And I'm thinking, what faith and on that? And he was absolutely, you know, ultimate release from prison. And his testimony has gone around the world and touched the church in so many different ways. In Philippians 12 through 30, we see important verses as well. I want you to know that everything that's happened to me here has helped spread the good news of Jesus Christ. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I'm in chains because of Christ. Because of my imprisonment, most of the believers have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. Paul understood that his change served such a tremendous purpose. And we live in a culture and a society where if there's pain physically or suffering that we want to get some drugs or some medication or something to relinquish the pain. I mean, pain is not something that's so bad. Sometimes we need to experience pain. It causes us to be more sensitive. It causes us to be more aware of how vulnerable we are. It causes us to realize that we need the grace of God every day. Pains not and suffering is not such a bad thing. It's true that some are preaching in verse number 15 on the jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives and they, they preach. But in verse 18, it doesn't matter their motives are false to Jim. They preach about Christ being preached. The way. I, I, I'm going to rejoice, he said, and I will continue to rejoice for I know that you pray for me and the spirit of Christ helps me that will lead to my deliverance. I'd like to go down to verse number 25. And knowing this, he said, I'm convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. I'm alive. I, I want to continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. And when I come to you again, you'll have even more reason to take pride in Christ Jesus because what he is doing through me. The joy of our faith. And what an important concept this is, and maybe perhaps we've lost some of that when we first became a believer. There was just so much excitement and joy knowing that all the shame and my sins have been wiped, my life, you know, just been wiped clean. It's like I'm this new creation. God's forgiven me of everything and, and cleansed me. But when we get caught up in the years of, of being a believer, sometimes the joy stealer comes so readily. He knows where we're weak. He knows where we're vulnerable. And he always attacks in the area like any enemy would do. Find out where their foe is weak or vulnerable, that's the area that he attacks. And the Lord is saying, don't let that happen. Nehemiah 8.10, reminder to us, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And when I'm feeling weak or dismayed, when I'm feeling joy, I said this last week that someone said that joyless Christianity is powerless Christianity. It's true. Because that joy is what gives me strength and vitality. It's not just emotion. 
But like everything in Scripture, there's an element of faith that he's giving me the fruit of the Spirit, and the Spirit of God lives in my life. I can express by faith the joy of the Spirit that lives inside of me. I'm not going to base it on where I'm at or what I feel or the circumstance I'm in. I'm just going to pray with joy. I'm going to speak joy. I'm going to experience this joy in my life, whether I feel it or I don't feel it. Joy provides, I believe, a U-turn that is often needed in our lives when suffering prevails. I call it this U-turn. Have you ever, I'm sure this has happened to you, and especially in Scottsdale, I get frustrated when I realize I, I, I missed my turn to go into a business or something like that, and I missed it, it's like, oh, or I'm going the wrong direction. It's like, I need to make a U-turn and get back to where I need to go. And then when you come up to the left-hand turn lane, the sign there, what does it say? No U-turn. <laughs> no U-turn. And can I just confess to you that I look in my rear view mirror, I look to the right, I look to the left. You know what I'm looking for? Well, I don't see any cops around. I'm just going to, I just do the U-turn. And after I do it and I, and I don't see any red lights flashing behind my car, I'm like, yes. You're right thinking, Pastor Dana, you do that? Yeah, I do do that. Well, not every day. I mean, maybe once a week, you know, something like that. <laughs> maybe occasionally. Because I don't want to have to drive down to the next major intersection like that. It was like, every place I go, but I, I make the U-turn and just, man, there's a sense of relief. Now I know I'm going in the right direction. And there's a great spiritual analogy of this, and I think repentance and salvation, it's like, man, I'd be going in the wrong direction all of my life, living for myself, living in sinful behavior that has gotten me nothing. I thought it would bring joy, and it did temporarily, but I wake up the next morning, and I just feel awful, you know? It's like the hangover of the party you know, last night, and it's like, there's no fulfillment in this, and, I, and God, through the conviction of the Holy Spirit, causes to come to me, drew us by the Spirit, and as we confessed Jesus, Christ and repented him of our sin, it was like a U-turn in our life being born again, wasn't it? And that's what repentance is. It's just like taking another direction, a direction that Christ provides for us, a U-turn. And I believe that as we're a believer that God wants to put us in a position, and I think joy is like this, is it's like a U-turn getting us on the right track again, and we're, it's realizing I'm not going in the right direction. And God wants us to do a U-turn life. Let me read two scriptures in this, and then we'll close with this. We're going to pray. Two scriptures, and there's, there's so many more, but they're, one of the things I love about the scripture where I see these U-turn principles is that, you know what? He'll turn our mourning into dancing. That's a U-turn. He'll turn our, our tears into joy. That's a U-turn. And you see it throughout the, the scripture, these U-turn moments in our life as God's like, well, you have sadness, I'll turn it to joy. You've got tears, I'll turn it to joy. You've got unrighteousness, I'll do a U-turn and I'll make you righteous through Jesus Christ, my son, and the blood that he shed on the cross. You're going through a trial and suffering, I'll do a U-turn in your life and you'll overcome and I'll bring you back to the place that you need to be and go. In Psalm 35, for his anger lasts for a moment, his favor lasts for a lifetime. Weeping may go through the night, but joy comes in the morning. That's a U-turn. Isaiah 51, 11, those who have been ransomed by the Lord, that's you, that's me. 
by the Lord will return. They will enter Jerusalem singing, crowned with everlasting joy. That's a U-turn. Sorrow and mourning will disappear, and they will be filled with joy and gladness. Hallelujah. Another U-turn. And when I read these verses, I think of that. It's like, why didn't I see it? How did I, how did I pass, you know, the direction here of the Lord, and I'm going on the wrong track, and immediately, I, that's that urgency. I'm in my car. I've got to make a U-turn and get on the right track to get to my destination. And some of us here this morning need to realize that you're going in the wrong direction because of an attitude or because of a feeling or because of a circumstance. You're settling. Maybe you're just accepting your circumstance. Well, this is the way it's going to be for the rest of my life life. I'm just destined to be in this miserable place as a believer or whatever that is. But God is saying, I want a U-turn to take place in your life. But you need to see, first of all, this is not going in the right direction. But through an attitude of joy that Paul had in Philippians, that joy in the suffering, that suffering oftentimes is a gift. And Paul, even in prison, though he was in chains, he did a U-turn in his heart, in his experience. It's like, well, I'm here. I'm going to preach to the guards. I'm going to be an example to the local church that will be inspired by my suffering and the gift of suffering that I'm going through. I'm going to let this, use this. This is going to be revenge to, against the enemy. Even though I'm suffering physically, I'm not going to let this suffering moment go uh, to waste or be in vain. But this is the, the revenge that we have against those circumstances. And he literally did a U-turn in prison while he was in chains. And he used it to advance the kingdom purposes that God had called him to. And God this morning, hear my heart, knows exactly where you're at with your family, your marriage, your job, all the things that we, we go through each and every day. And, and God's just saying, you know, just take delight, take joy in me. I'll cause there to be a U-turn. And I can turn your life and your situation around. Amen? And I think that the scripture sometimes gives it, it's just so simple that we easily miss it. And I think that that's why prayer, when he says, enter into my gates with thanksgiving and into my courts with praise in Psalm 100, that when you come in to, to meet with me, I want you to just come in with a joyful expectation, praise, and thanks, and just begin with that. It just kind of sets the tone. It creates an atmosphere for increase. I'm just affirming the Lord with a joyful spirit and a joyful heart. And when we do that, it touches the heart of God. I don't know about you, but when I am having issues in a relationship, and even if Bridget and I are at odds and conflict or whatever, we're not on the same page. I remember oftentimes I would go back and just say, Bridget, I'm not trying to flatter you. I'm not trying to smooth over the issue that we're dealing with. But I just want to say thank you. And I just begin affirming her with joy. And I'm grateful. And Bridget, I take joy in the fact that you're a fighter. You never give up. And it just kind of changes the atmosphere of what we're dealing with. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And there are some people that I've known and that I've met that probably have inspired my personal faith so greatly that have gone through a lifetime of maybe a physical 
handicap or disease that has never been healed, but they're some of the most joyful, positive people that I've ever met. I'm just amazed by that. I could share story after story of people that it's like, I know God can heal me. I believe that he will, but while I'm in this season, I know that I can have joy in the desert. I can have joy in my suffering. I can make an impact on the kingdom, and I'm not going to let the joy stealer rob me of where I'm at and what I'm supposed to do and accomplish. When I hit the ground after college, and I, I remember landing in Bangladesh, and, and I went into this missionary's home, and I was overwhelmed by the smells and the sights and the beggars on the street, and I, I was just in culture shock. And I, and I'm sitting there. He's telling me like, "Well, I've, how long have you been here?" He goes, "I've been here 34 years." And I'm thinking, "I've only been here 34 minutes, and I'm not sure how long this is gonna last." <laughs> like, how did you do? How, how just 34 years? And he said, "I just, I feel." Like Paul in Philippians 128, 129, 130, that it's not only a privilege to trust him, God has given us the privilege to trust Christ, but also that he's given me the privilege to suffer for him. I just got quiet in the room. He said, my wife and I was in the 50s. We arrived by a ship. He said, Dana, that's where the days. He goes, I came over on the same ship that Mark Montaigne went to Calcutta, which was West Bengal at that time. And I got off the ship and I came here, which at that time was East Pakistan. And now it's Bangladesh. And he, I went to Dhaka. He went to Calcutta. That's where you came over on a ship. And you didn't know you're going to spend the rest of your life. And you may never go back home. He said, my wife got pregnant with our first child and because the medical care even to this day is not that great there and she needed to have a C-section. She couldn't deliver the child and there was complications and the doctors didn't know how to do a C-section and the baby died in her womb and we lost our baby. And then it, it, it messed her up physically and we could never get pregnant again and have children and have a family. He goes, it was one of those moments of suffering that we didn't understand that God, why would you call us here and we lose our child, we can never have children again and, and we're like, we're done, let's get out of here, it's not worth it, it's, it, it's too painful and what a loss. And, but he said, but yet my wife and I realized that it's a privilege to be called to the Lord, we're staying. It's a privilege that if, even though we've gone through this suffering, there's gonna be a reason for this. And, and there most certainly was as they begin to develop a church and an orphanage and be able to pour their lives into the children off the streets that had, they were abandoned and nothing there and how God using said so for 34 years, Dana, it's just been, it's been joy in the midst of the suffering. And I wanted to capture that moment. And I want you to capture the moment of your life as well where you're at here today and realize we can walk in this joy. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Thank you, Jesus. Would you just bow your hearts and your heads with me here this morning?
Is there anybody here today just slipping up your hand? You say, Dana, I don't know Jesus. I don't have this kind of relationship with him that I need, and I, I really want to know him. I want to be able to experience the joy of the Lord in my life. I want you just to slip up your hand this morning, and we're just going to pray right where you're standing, and, and just ask Christ to come into your life even this moment. There's just one person here. I don't want to miss an opportunity for you to know Jesus Christ and the joy that awaits you, not only on this earth, but even in heaven itself. It's so important. Just slip, quickly slip your hand up if you're here. You want to know him. And if you know him, and you want the antidote for suffering, and what God is saying and teaching here this morning, you say, Dana, I... I need to experience another level of joy in my life, especially where I'm at right now. And I feel like the enemy has robbed me of some of that joy, and I want that back. I want you to lift up your hand here this morning. We're going to pray together. Yes, just keep your hand up. Yeah, just many, you know, and I, I got my hands up as well. <laughs> and Lord, as we lift up our hands, we... We ask you to, to do a transformation right in this moment. Would you just follow me in this prayer? Just say, dear Jesus, forgive me for allowing the joy stealer to take away the joy of my life. Lord, I pray that you would come to me and fill me once again with that joy. I pray that I would do a U-turn in my life and you would give me a clear direction. Lord, I would no longer follow that path of unbelief. Lord, I rejoice in you and I thank you that the joy of the Lord is my strength. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Now, I'd like to invite you to come forward. Uh, you prayed that prayer. We're going to worship together as Nick leads us. And I think it's just fitting to come to the altar and let the Lord's presence, because David said it like this, that in the presence of the Lord, there's fullness of joy. Do you realize that? And when we worship in his presence and in this altar, God can just renew that joy in such a powerful way. We, we just affirm him. We love him. We just rejoice in him and worship. Amen. So just begin to come at this time and, and let's take some moments. I'm going to join in with you and we're just going to worship this morning. And in his presence, let him just replenish you with joy here today. Amen.